Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. All right, what's going on, everyone? This is episode 97 of BuzzBeat. I am Richie and will be joined, as always, by Brian and Spencer. Just a reminder, BuzzBeat is a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. You can find our episodes on BlueWirePods.com, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. We truly appreciate if you guys can give us our podcast a rating and review on iTunes. On this episode, we're going to be rehashing if Kimba will make the All-NBA team and the implication that has on his salary. And then to wrap the episode, uh, we're going to talk about some players that are actually performing uh, in the NCAA tournament, and those are some prospects that could potentially fall to Charlotte as well. So um, first off, guys, how are your, how are your brackets going? Um, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have any Final Four teams mm-mm, correct, mm-mm. so I didn't, I didn't pick Virginia to make Final Four. So yeah, no, awful. Really? It's, been, it's been a, it's yeah. Been a yeah, I thought Tennessee was the best team in that region. So did I. Yeah, Tennessee was really good. The whole Rick Barnes factor is something you just can't account for. You know what I mean? It, it rears its head every every March. But um, no, I I actually liked Virginia coming out of that region. I've just been all I've been like I don't know. I just, I've thought Virginia, even though they didn't play very well in Charlotte in the ACC tournament, I just thought they were one of the four or five best teams, if not one of the top teams in the country the whole year. I mean, they've some of these games have been a little a little tight, but. I don't know. Like the the March Madness is just so random. Yeah. Like it, yep. it it it's unbelievable. These one game samples. Like what can swing and you know it, it goes beyond just you know is your bracket busted or not. This is what we hold some players and coaches. We keep we make like their reputation accountable for this kind of stuff. Like it's a it's a little insane. Yeah, Tony Bennett is no different of a coach now than he was a year ago. He just now is a Final Four, so that solidifies what he's worked for for 50 years. I don't know. It's a little weird to me, but um, I guess that sports sort of in a nutshell. We are results-based, uh-huh. and uh, we don't really care too much about context, and therefore the, the NCAA tournament is sort of the perfect beast for that. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I, I enjoy the NCAA tournament a whole lot more when I don't fill out a bracket. Like you, Spencer, all four of my Final Four teams got knocked out this weekend. And, um, you know, I'm still going to enjoy the, the basketball. But now that my bracket is completely busted, that's that's the reason why. So I feel like moving forward, I'm going to stop filling out brackets and, and going into pools. I feel like I've only won it one time. And like you said, Brian, so random, so random. Anyone could win a bracket pool. You really don't have to know much about basketball. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy NCAA tournament, but what a good elite eight! What a solid, awesome yep. every single game coming down really to the last few awesome. possessions, yep. even the Gonzaga Texas Tech game. And uh, yeah, I mean Virginia, I, you know, it's been a very weird tournament for them. Uh, haven't gotten 
they've gotten solid play from all their key players, but not consistent play. And, and yeah. I, you would have told me that before the tournament started. I would have, I would have told you they're going to get knocked off before uh, Minneapolis. But this team just has a different edge than past Virginia teams. Uh, they've played a little differently this year. I think that has uh, benefited them late in the season. That game the other night was, I mean. I, along with the team and the rest of the fan base, died and somehow came back to life. And, uh, <laughs> now they're in the Final Four, so it's uh, it's good stuff, though. Ty Jerome has really raised his game. He's been, I mean, the guy's been awesome all season. I mean, he's great last season. He's been amazing this year. He should have been first team All ACC, and he's like a legitimate first round draft prospect. But like, dude, he was so good against Oregon, and he was so good against Purdue that. He's- even though DeAndre Hunter's offense has been like hitter, he has not been efficient in this tournament, and, and Guy has struggled a ton. Like Jerome has just driven the offense, man. He's been he's been incredible. So yeah, so real quick, and then we'll talk about the things that you guys actually tuned in to listen about. Um, you know, Jerome is a no show in the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. The NCAA tournament starts, and Jerome's back. Then Kyle Guy's a no show through the first mm-hmm. two and a half games of the NCAA tournament, and then in this Elite Eight game. Jerome and Guy, collectively, just unbelievable how well those two played. And DeAndre Hunter, now he's lost. So you got to feel like this thing's going to come full circle for Virginia. And if they can get all three of those guys involved consistently, certainly on the offensive end, you know they're going to be plugged in defensively. kind of yeah. does feel like Virginia's the team to beat from here. Uh, and I'll regret saying that, but it does feel that way. You just jinxed it, Spencer. Auburn, yeah. by, Auburn by 10. All right, let's let's get into the uh, the Hornets talk. Like Spencer said, this is what you're here for, and um, it is a little bit on a depressing note. I think you know, not mathematically, but the Hornets uh, with this 35 and 41 record, they are pretty much uh, you know the nail in the coffin. Uh, they're out of the playoff picture at this point, and I think that you know the Lakers game really did them in. But if uh, you wanted to add another nail in the coffin, that would have been last night against Golden State. We're recording this on a Monday night, so we're actually not going to be able to. Um, recap any of the Utah game, but it's probably going to be more of the same. But we wanted to rehash the all-NBA talk because this does have big implications coming this summer. I know that we talked about this last episode with uh, Christian Winfield and his kind of take on that, and he felt that Kimba would make the all-NBA team. And with Kimba making the all-NBA team, he does qualify for the designated veteran player extension, or as people call it, the Supermax. So, well, first off, because you know the the Hornets can offer one more year than any other teams because he is with Charlotte. We are the uh, the team that he is currently with. So in free agency, the most anyone can offer him is four years. But having said that, if he does qualify for the All NBA team, he makes either the first, the second, or the third team. Um, not only will Hornets be able to offer him five years, the actual salary, which you know gets like I think eight percent raises, gets up to two hundred and twenty one million dollars over the course of five years so big implications for this whether or not Kimba's going to make it I do think it's borderline and we discussed this a little bit so I think we should first talk about briefly who we think is going to make the all NBA team and I, and I will start again this is just the guards and we mentioned these two put names kind of as shoe-ins for first team and I'm not going to spend too much time on these two names but Curry and Harden to me uh, first team guards not going to go into too much about them I think second team to me, uh, Dame and Kyrie uh, as my second team guards. 
Dame, um, you know, scoring on all three levels uh, on the court. His efficiency numbers are really great. Um, he, his assist numbers are up there as well. And then as much as I don't like Kyrie as a, as a player that I would want on my team, uh, he is still producing. And so that kind of wraps up the first four guards. So now it's open uh, for the last two guard spots in the third team. And to me, it's down to Westbrook, Beal, Kimba, and Ben Simmons in my eyes. I do think that Westbrook is going to get it. You know, I think this will be his third straight season of averaging a triple-double. Clearly, his efficiency numbers are never really there, uh, but he affects the game in so many ways that I think, you know, just kind of that effect on a game uh, will get him the nod for third team. So, And then, having said that, I do think Kimba gets that last spot with Westbrook on the third team. But I would not be surprised to see Bill, Beal get it or Ben Simmons get it. Simmons is very similar to Westbrook in the sense that he's he's averaging almost uh, a triple-double as well, and he affects the game in many ways, not with his shooting by any chance, but he can get to the basket and score at the rim uh, at will. So uh, what, what are your first, second, and third team guards, Brian? All right. You and I think alike here, Richie. I think obviously the first team, no-brainers with Harden and Steph. I mean, Harden has been the best or second-best player in basketball this year, period. And and Steph has been amazing, and and if he had played a little bit more, he'd be he'd be in the MVP conversation too. He certainly deserves some third, fourth, or fifth, third, fourth, or fifth place consideration in the MVP voting. Dame has been amazing in Portland, just amazing, and um, and it really sucks. The Nurkic injury sucks for a lot of reasons. In fact, because it just like totally weakens the Blazers as like a as a playoff threat, I mean, they basically lose Diet Jokic and the guy who was who'd become their second best player in Nurkic. And that that really sucks. Um, I got Kyrie as my fourth guy. I just think what Kyrie's done is sort of it, he's caused lots of problems <laughs> with this team, right? And he can't stop talking and saying weird or off the wall stuff. But like, dude's averaging twenty four seven and five. It is really, really close with high usage, very close to going 50, 40, and 90, like 49% from the field, 39.8 on three, and 87% from the line. It doesn't get to the line that much either, too. I mean, all things considered, 3.7 attempts per game. Um, I think, honestly, think – I've heard some people – I've even heard – some smart NBA types like Ryan Rosillo, I think, on Lowe's podcast said he didn't have Kyrie on. Um, I think Kyrie's got to be a lock for one of these six spots, to be totally honest with you. Whether, whether you put him four or five or six, uh, I, I think he I think he's I think he's gotta be on there. My last two spots, like those are the wild card spots for me. Um I think Brad Beal should get one of those last two spots at fifth or sixth. And that leaves Russell Westbrook, Kemba. Ben Simmons, and then if you want to throw Clay Thompson and Mike Conley into the mix too, fine. I, I don't. I think those guys are like a tier below these other dudes. You know, this is one of those things where it's interesting because the, the way these things are decided, it's a bit of a popularity contest. And certainly Westbrook is, uh, yeah. while polarizing, is a is a better known player. And like Russ is having in a, in a, a like hilariously inefficient season. Twenty nine percent on threes, forty eight percent on twos. 66% from the line, 50% true shooting. Like, these are bad numbers, man. Really bad. Historically bad in some contexts. But I still think I still think Westbrook might get the, It's just tough. Like, I think it's between Kemba and Russ for that last spot. I think Kemba's clearly had a better season. Um, 
but I wouldn't be surprised to see Russ get that spot. I could also see Kemba getting in over Beal, but yeah, Kemba would be my would be my sixth guard. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Westbrook get that uh, get that sixth spot too. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much where you guys are. A slightly different. I mean, obviously, you know, the first two guards are you know the first team are obvious. You know, I think that I think that it gets interesting after Dame. Um, I have Westbrook on second team ahead of Kyrie. Um, I do. You know, tend to agree with the skeptics out there that uh, look, if there's no, if we don't know exactly how we're voting and what we're looking at when we're voting and what really goes into this pie, then I think you have to, in the age of the NBA, when everything's so public and uh, everything's on social media and everything's accessible from these guys, then if they act like jackasses, then I do think you hold it against them. My personal opinion, mm-hmm. but I think you do. And so, you know, I, I don't. I don't put Kyrie on that second team, number one, because of that. Number two, because statistically, outside of Westbrook's shooting numbers, he's actually having a much more impactful season uh, from a statistical standpoint to me than Kyrie is. I mean, he's still impacting the game uh, in a double-digit way in three categories. It's, it's amazing. That's phenomenal. We already you know saw him do it for a season, but he's quietly doing it again. His shooting's actually been better here recently, um, even though the Thunder are just a total – uh, mess right now um so yeah I, I got westbrook on that second team over Kyrie. i still have Kyrie on third team i mean you can't you can't completely ignore the numbers i think he does deserve that and you know what i think it gets really interesting between bradley beal and kimball walker i think in a vacuum kimball walker's had the better season but brad beal's had a damn good season too and i just can't get a feel for how much Kimball Walker playing for the Charlotte Hornets is actually going to affect him in this voting process. I know that sounds like very old school and draconian, but I actually think that this could affect uh, Walker in a negative way. And I just wouldn't be surprised to see him left out, even behind a guy like Bradley Beal. So, you know, I know that the, the Wizards aren't any better, right? But um, he plays in a bigger market. Uh, you know, he's, he's been without his best player this year, and really his numbers in a lot of ways have improved. Uh, having the best season of his career, arguably. Look, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the Hornets to have Kimmel left off this, and I'm starting. To, I'm starting to feel like it, it could end up playing out that way. You know, you can't just vote on a whim. I mean, this means millions and millions and millions of dollars for players, and and and, and it matters for fans, and it matters for team salary cap. So this is a big decision for uh, for the people that do have a vote in the NBA. I think if this vote obviously took place in December or January, I think Kemba would be a shoe in I think his numbers have fallen off a little bit. Um, he's had, like you said, had some good games here and there sprinkled throughout recently. But uh, overall, I feel like his numbers have kind of declined a little bit since the new year. And that could be, you know, what it takes. You know, you know, the, the lasting memory, the last thing that you remember of Kemba, you know, his numbers have been on decline since the new year. And maybe that does leave him off that third team. Uh, what do you think about that, Brian, in terms of just kind of him declining throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, it. he has not been – he obviously got off to an, an incredible start. It was unsustainable. And, you know, there's been – A, there's a lot of responsibility put on him and teams have – ganged up on him and done whatever they could do to make like life difficult and get the ball out of his hands. And I mean, we've talked about this literally every week, the entire season. And then as, as some people have discussed too, like maybe he's had some health issues, but yeah, he's not the, the guy plays a style of basketball. That's unless you're Curry is, is really hard to do. Uh, I mean, really he and and Lillard and Curry and, and I mean, Harden sort of playing his own sport too, but like they're really the, these, the, these handful of, 
handful of guys that play this one style of ball. And it's really, it can be really tough if teams can roll a little bit more of their coverages. Like you got to take that shot for, with with one more arm in your face or a step further from beyond the line. And, and yes, I think ultimately as his performance has, while still been very good all yeah. season, has been just not, he has not been the type of like high volume pull up three point shooter that a guy like Dame Lillard is basically. Like he just hasn't, he is, he has not been that. One other name we should have also mentioned with all this, too, Drew Holiday probably deserves a little bit of recognition, too. The guy's pulled up RPM numbers for NBA point guards this season. Harden, one. Curry, two. Lillard, three. Holiday, four. Kyrie, five. Kyle Lowry, six. Chris Paul, seven. Conley, eight. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, nine. Westbrook is 11. Kemba Walker is 12. Where's so Russell? Some of the names. Where's D'Angelo Russell? Uh, D'Angelo Russell is 19th. Um, his defense defense weighs him down a little bit there. Yeah, yeah and uh, and that's a whole for another day. When, you, when the three of us have more time in the summer, I'll uh, maybe when we're talking free agency stuff and and D'Angelo Russell gets a new contract, I can go into more or less why I'm not a big uh, Russell fan. But um, but anyways, those are those are the guys, and I, and I threw out Chris Paul's name there too. Like it, I said this on last episode with uh, with Christian too. But it just it, like it's interesting. Like it is interesting to see how injuries have played a role in this this year as well. Like John Wall missing the whole season, Oladipo missing a ton of time, Chris Paul missing like just enough time. This happens every year with Chris Paul, where like he misses just enough games that you can't consider him for All Star and All NBA and, and all this sorts of stuff too. So um, you know, it's it's it would be really fascinating to see if. Victor Oladipo having a, a crappy injury in in December or whatever, like does that come back to help Kemba get on the third team? It's just it's it's fascinating the way these things are interconnected. I don't, I don't know if it's absolutely a good thing either, too, because now that could lead it. The three of us should be dying to get Kemba on one of these All NBA rosters, and instead we're looking at it with like a little bit of it's like it. It just thinks that you're at a place where you're thinking, wow, would it be a good thing for him to get on all NBA? Like it would be the highlight of this guy's career and more and more like uncertain if it's a if it's a good thing for the franchise or not. Well, that that kind of sucks. Let's let's transition to that, you know, briefly. Like would it be in the best interest for Charlotte to even offer him the Supermax on if he doesn't qualify for the Supermax? Would it even be in the best interest for the Hornets to offer him the regular max, which would be you know, $189 million over five years, which averages, you know, anywhere from 30 to $40 million per year, which to me, while he may deserve it, he was underpaid, uh, you know, tremendously in his previous contract. I just don't think it's in the best interest for Charlotte to do that. I'm not sure how much success this team is going to have over the next couple of seasons. The team next year is basically going to be the same team that we have this year, just with rookies uh, that have one more year under their belt. Um, so, and then by the time some of these bigger contracts fall off and then Batum is even on for a number, another summer compared to some of these other players, uh, you also wonder, you know, with Kimba aging, with all the wear and tear he's had on his body, having to carry this team, I think there's going to be a noticeable decline. And I just say, yes, you know, this is probably not the best thing to do for Charlotte is to offer him the max. And I know that's probably might push him away. And you could probably say, hey, goodbye to Kimba if you don't even offer him anywhere near the max. But it is a tricky situation because we can offer him the most money, the most years. But really, is that in the best interest for Charlotte? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't think it is. Um, not even the regular max. Like, right. <laughs> I would, wouldn't wouldn't be upset if if you know Kemba didn't make All NBA and the Hornets offered him the full max and they accepted any state draw. Like, that's a victory, you know, obviously. But you know, I I just think that the only way this organization is going to be able to see more clearly is by you know ripping the bandaid off. And the only you know the only way that's going to happen right now is Kimball walking this summer uh, and the franchise realizing that they really just have to ride out the Batum contract, try to develop the young guys here in the next few seasons, and then really set themselves up for 2021, you know, to, to start really seriously digging in and rebuilding this roster. Uh, and in the meanwhile, you know, Kimball leaving next year, I mean, Charlotte would be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Right. So you're going to get a good draft pick that next summer. I mean, you know, that's just where we are. There's no... There's no creative way to do this and build a winning roster if you re-sign Kemba for 35 or more percent of the salary cap. There's just no way to do it. There's zero way. Nobody is taking Nick Batum without also completely you know, taking anything off your roster or, or future assets that are super valuable. And Charlotte doesn't have those either. So... <laughs> I really, truly believe, and it's not even a blessing in disguise anymore, right? Like, I think for the smart people, it's becoming obvious that if Kim believes, it's okay to just be like, dude, that guy was so good, and I appreciate that time we had with right. him and what he did for this franchise, but it's time for these two parties to go in there. It's okay to just admit yeah. that. It's okay. And and we've said this on this on this podcast before. It would at least give a clear cut, okay, here's what you got to do. You know, it would it would be... In a way, it's not. It's. I'm not saying it's win-win, but at least with Kemba, be like, okay, man, you go get your money and go figure out the best team to play for you. I want to see you play in a conference final. You know what I mean? I think every Hornets fan that's at least semi-reasonable would feel that way. And for the Hornets, they would say, well, now you know what you got to do. Like, yeah, yeah, you probably maybe you should have traded this guy. You probably should have traded him at the deadline in 2018. But guess what? Like, he walked, and we've seen this, like, the the Hawks let Horford walk in 2016, and they let Millsap walk in 2017. Like, it, it's not completely without precedent. And the whole, like, oh, would, would Kemba signing the Supermax be a good or a bad thing? It's not even, like, specific to just the Hornets and Kemba. Like, this is kind of a league-wide thing, a league-wide issue at the moment. Like, and you look around, like, the other these other ones that have been signed, like the John Wall one, in Washington, like, that's a disaster. That's an albatross. The Westbrook one, like, it's not looking so – I mean, like, it's okay right now, but it's not looking great, right? Um, you know, his play has really declined this year, and they owe him a ton of money. And that five-year max started this season with Russell. In hell, if Paul George hadn't resigned there, that thing would be looking really bloody this year too. Yes, the Harden-Curry ones have so far been – so far, so they look good. But, like, it – that – that's not a problem. This isn't even a problem that's specific to just the Hornets and Kemba. Like this is this is a bigger, this is a this is a league wide issue that I think yes, touches yeah. on a lot of limbs outside of the seven hundred four area code. But yeah, no, like it it would ultimately at this point, you know, I, I I don't even know what the best course of strategy is because they really should rebuild. But like you just you've made that path as muddy as you possibly could and. You sort of tied yourself to to Kemba now, and it, it would be tough for them to just straight up say, "Thanks, but you know we got we got to we got to do what's right for us, and we, you need to do what's right for yourself." And we gotta 
we got to part ways here because the one advantage Charlotte has is that they can offer him way more money, way more years, whether that matters a ton to him or not, but they can do that. But is it long-term? It's not good for the sustainability of the, of the roster, but like like you mentioned, they kind of already said, Hey, we're sticking with Kim, but if they were going for the rebuild, they should have made that decision two seasons ago. So by letting him walk in the off season, it's almost like they're admitting what they did was the incorrect decision, but it still could be the the smarter of the two. Yeah, and and it and it makes like if Kimba decides that he does want to come back, and they really start talking seriously, you know, when free agency opens, this deal has to be a five year deal, right? Like we've seen creative deals throughout the league. I always go back to the uh, Kyle Lowry one, you know, when the mm-hmm. Raptors were trying to go in two directions at once. That's what smart franchises do. They gave him a three year deal. If I'm not uh, if I'm not wrong, no, and hundred over three. 100 over three. So he's, you know, he's making nice change. And they're not tied. Neither side's tied down with each other for a long time. More important for Toronto. But the point here is that with Batum on the books for two more years, there's no way that Kimball would sign anything less than a five-year deal because he, he's not going to play in Charlotte for for the, the next contract he signs, if it gets signed, for 50% of the time that that guy, Nick Batum, is eating up about 30% of the salary cap. There's no way he would do that. There's yeah. no way. That is about as irresponsible as the Charlotte Hornets have conducted business in the past four or five seasons. So I don't see that happening. So basically, because he's going to look at the situation, he's going to say, they're not going to be able to trade him. He's here for two more years. I got to sign a five-year contract, right? Because I got to give myself three years to realistically win yeah. on a high level here in Charlotte. But that has got to be a mutual agreement between the two sides if this thing's going to happen. And I just... When push comes to shove, I've kind of gone off in, a, in another direction here, but when push comes to shove, I don't think Kim is going to be able to say yes to that. I, I just yeah. – you're not throwing away two years of your prime, I guess, if you look at it like that. But I think that if you really dig deep and, and, and crunch all the numbers and look at all the different scenarios and, and, and ways this thing could play out, you, you throw it through the – the grinder a hundred times during the next two seasons with Nick Batum, you're like, wait a minute, there's really no way we can win more than 45 games in those right. two seasons. So, so then I'm 32 years old, and that's when yeah. we're supposed to start winning. Like, I just don't really see how this works out for Kevin and Charlotte. It's just hard to imagine that he's going to resign here. Okay, on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about college prospects, but let's first talk about an offer that Blue Wire has. We're teaming up with Harry's Razors to make sure that you guys are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set. This set includes a five-blade razor, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. I've tried it and loved it. My wife tried it and loved it. I know that Spencer uses it. Now we just need to get Brian and you guys on Harry's as well. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, 
make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, let's move on to some college prospect talk. Uh, I'm going to hand the keys over to Spencer as he's going to profile one of his favorite prospects in this upcoming draft. So Spencer, take it away with the player that we have not talked about yet. Yeah, um, Rui Hachimura. Um, did you hear that, Richie? I said that correctly, I think. I, I think don't know did. if I've I ever been did. able to say a player not born in the United States. I've never, never been able to say his name correctly, so that's impressive on my part. Um, now, Hachimura, I, I, I do like him as a prospect. You know, I'm not in love with him, but I think that the, I think that most people are too low. Um, you know, 6'8", 230-pound power forward. He's a junior at Gonzaga. The biggest negative here is, is Rui's going to be almost 22 years old um, when he, you know, when he first plays in the NBA. So that's a huge negative. You know, I've, I've stated before that I don't put as much stock into that as maybe some others because I think some of these younger guys you draft get get to the end of their rookie scale contract and, and then start playing well, and you're like, crap. So what are we extending for? You know, so mm-hmm. I think it's actually better in some cases when you get a guy who's a little older. Look, Rui is. He's a fluid. He's a very strong, powerful player. That's how I would describe him. You know, first and foremost, um, six eight. So he's got you know a wing body, if you will, and, and that's probably one of the biggest concerns with him. Just on the court, is you know what position is he going to play in the NBA? Uh, probably has to play power forward. Um, but if he's going to if he's going to reach his ceiling, you know, he needs to have those wing skill. He needs to have that wing skill set. And I don't really think he's that far away. He's not a nuclear. Um, he's not a nuclear jump out of the gym kind of athlete, but he's a fluid athlete. He moves, he, he moves with long strides. Uh, he's a killer in transition. He can grab and go. We saw that a lot uh, uh, in the Elite Eight against Texas Tech on Saturday. I thought he had a good game. Um, you know, he was good from the foul line this season. He's really good in the mid-range. The shot looks okay uh, mechanically to me. Uh, he attempted 36 three-pointers this year, which was a career high for him at Gonzaga. Obviously, played a lot of minutes this year, but was 40. You know, he's 15 to 36 for the season, 41 percent, a little over that. Um, very small sample, but I, I think that has a chance to translate. I really do. Um, he looks like a guy to me who, who can, with a higher volume of opportunities, is going to be an okay shooter. You know, I would say he's kind of like a an, an Ananobi, an OG Ananobi um, type mm-hmm. of athlete. You know, one of the Morris twins, you know, Marcus Morris, maybe maybe he gets there to be a player like that. And I think that that's a fine late lottery kind of selection mm-hmm. in, in this draft. Um, probably my favorite thing about Rui, though, is his ability to be a slasher, to attack the Rebels straight line drives and finish with his right and left hand. He's pretty he's, I think he's underrated. Uh, with his craftiness around the basket, um, you know Gonzaga used him with his back to the basket a lot. I mean, they just they just tried to bully everybody they played with Hachimura and Brandon Clark, and why wouldn't they, right? So it's it's that how he was used to Gonzaga, and when I watch him play in transition, I almost see two different things. I see a guy that we're going to watch him play in the NBA. Be like, wait a minute, I didn't I did not see that at Gonzaga, right? Because he was playing in the West Coast Conference against much 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 smaller opponents. And they wanted to bully everybody. I actually think there's some wing skill set in this guy, and uh, and I think he can really develop into a small four power four combo in the NBA and guard definitely two positions, probably three positions. Um, I, I'm just a little bit confused as to why Hachimura 
is being considered at this point, I think, is a mid-first-round pick. I mean, the Staffian, which I think is probably the best draft coverage out there, if you really want to dig in deep on this stuff, doesn't even have him ranked in the top 30 of their prospects. I think that's a mistake. I just think he's he's a good enough athlete and a powerful enough um, player that that's that he's going to translate physically to the NBA right away. And, and I always look at that to be a positive. Yeah, I think having him outside of the top, I've seen some of the like, you know, this guy's not a real prospect talk. I, I don't I don't buy that totally either. I think he's like a top 20 prospect. I think he's pretty safely in that range for me. Um, super productive college player, right? With like with like legitimate skills, good frame, uh, wingspan, seven foot, uh, seven foot, seven feet, one and a half inches. Mm-hmm. Like he said, he's coordinated, man. He runs fluid. Um, he, I don't think his vision is great. And he's not much of a passer. Played over eleven thousand minutes this, or pardon me, eleven hundred minutes this year. Just fifty-seven assists. But he, like you said, he runs well. Um, he's a good defensive rebounder. Seventeen percent defensive rebound rate. And like you said, he shot pretty well at the rim. He's not an explosive athlete, but sixty-three percent at the rim in the half court. That's pretty good. Fifty-four percent on post-ups. We talked about this a little bit with Bridges last year. It's like. I like those combo forwards that have post-up skills because that's the way you can counter switches and getting smaller guys matched up on you in the NBA. I think the biggest weakness with him, and, and I'll say this too, the age with the group with with Hachimura doesn't bother me that much, except if you're if you're trying to, say, I think like if you're looking at this guy as like a late bloomer, then the age works a little bit against him. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like a, like sure. a little bit of, like a little bit against him. Um, but the biggest concern for me, I'm not worried about the age with him. That doesn't bother me. Um, it's the defense. Like, not only does this guy have low stocks numbers, just 1.3 steals and one block per 40 minutes. Um, that along with a low offensive rebound number, only 5.8% offensive rebound rate. Like it just, how explosive, how impactful can he be at all times? And then just. You see him go. You got to pull up some tape of, of of him as the four guarding pick and roll and guarding ball screens, and yeah, it's just his off. his position. Yeah, and so that's why. Yes, I, like I love the I love the Morrison comparisons. Sometimes I worry he's a little more Javari Parker, though. Do you know what I mean? Just in terms <laughs> of like how he's thinking and processing defensively, like it's it's a problem. Well, I think with him defensively yeah. on the court, but his shooting numbers are great. I mean, he shot. 72% overall at the rim, like I said, 63% in the half court. And, you know, 60, only, you know, 60% of those were assisted on. So 40% of those he either got, you know, on offense rebounds or he created the shot in transition. Like you said, he is a beast in transition. He put up good transition numbers, 1.3 points per possession, according to synergy and transition. The one other thing I'd say on him though, too, that's a little bit of a knock. He struggled against top 50 composite competition, uh, in 10 games versus top 50 teams this year, offensive rating was down, effective shooting down, offensive rebound down, three-point percentage down, two-point percentage down, and turnovers up. So, like, he struggled when Gonzaga played better teams. I mean, like you said, he had a good game against uh, Texas Tech. But overall, when, when Gonzaga played better teams this year, he had he had his own issues. But, like, I'm with you. Like, I think he's a solid prospect. I like combo forwards that can shoot and score from a couple different levels. I know most of his stuff was – in the mid range or at the, at the rim or whatever. But, um, you know, I think there's a three point shot you could build on there. And I'm certainly curious by it. And, and yeah, like I, I good motor runs well, he's fluid, good wingspan. 
I'm not like anti anti Hachimura. I I'm not crazy about him in the lottery unless it's like late in the lottery, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a little safer from like 15 to 20 than he is from like say 10 to 14. But that that's where I'm at with with Hachimura. I like him. I'm just I think the defensive thing. I, it's a problem as a prospect when you're not at least elite in one of those two things. But if your right. offense is, we think it's pretty good, but your defense is like already going to lower your ceiling as a prospect, then I get, I get like a little, a little concerned. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you that the defense is certainly <clears throat> the most concerning aspect of his game. Um, I just, I watch him move just as a, as an athlete generally, and I, I'm not ready to give up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't like the Jabari Parker thing's interesting. I, I don't Jabari Parker didn't have a high motor uh, at all, ever on the defensive end. I mean, he just looked like he didn't care, right? And, and and a lot of that could be he's not processing information quickly. And I'm sure that's an issue with Hachimura too. But Hachimura appears to me to be a very consistent competitor. Uh and, and pretty hard nosed kid. I I just would be more willing to bet on on that kind of player um before for a guy like like Jabbar. But that's interesting. Um yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I had two more I, I think there's I think there's a lot here to be unlocked. I would be you know if the Hornets pick 13th, 12th, somewhere in that range, I wouldn't be pissed if they if they took this guy. I think that him and Miles could actually be a pretty fun fit, especially defensively, if you're able to dig in and get something out of Rui. Um I mean just kind of like close your eyes Picture Bacon Miles Rui. It, it might get sliced up uh, when they're all young, but that's kind of intriguing, right? Like there, there's some length and mm-hmm. some switchiness and some athleticism. Um, definitely some athleticism in that trio. So I, I just don't hate the fit here with the Hornets, and, and I like him as an athlete. Um, it's just like you said, Brian. He's older. How quickly can he figure this stuff out? I don't think you're not. You're never drafting this guy to be an All Star, but if you want him to be a starter, like he needs to get it within. A year and a half, right? Yeah, so, yeah, no doubt. So no that's doubt. the game. That's the gamble you're taking, which usually means it's really important as to what system uh, he's plugged into. No doubt. Well, I mean, it'd be funny to see him go. To, it'd be fun to see him go to a good team that was like you know mid to late in the first round, and you know watch this guy get in the Spurs system and you know and flourish in San Antonio or something like that. But um, speaking of older combo forwards, that would certainly be fun to envision around Miles Bridges or playing next to Miles Bridges. Let's go to my prospect here. I'm bringing a guy that I know you and I both like a lot, Spencer, and he's still alive in the NCAA tournament, too. This is a guy we've been talking about on this podcast for about a year now. Uh, I remember us bringing, up, bringing him up during his, his redshirt freshman year at Virginia, and that's DeAndre Hunter. Um, this guy, to me, is like this is the modern floor spacing forward. He's a three and a half, right? Sort of like Miles Bridges, six eight, seven two wingspan, two hundred and thirty pounds. And like I'm telling you, I, Spencer, you may have even seen him when you were at the games in Charlotte with ACC tournament. That dude is solid. Like this, this is not this is not a guy that like needs to put on weight. Like he is. This is a well built dude. Um, you, you, I, you, you you can't believe how big crazy. he is. He looks big on TV, but. And Virginia is not a huge team, but especially in their guards. But when you see him on the floor, Brian, your point is just perfect. Crazy. The dude is ready for the NBA physically. There's absolutely no question about that. And I contend that he can play power forward most of his minutes. I, I think so. I think like I think that actually might be where he's best suited. But I but I like the thought of he and Miles next to one another. You know what I mean? Like they both those guys in theory can be primary defenders on a three or a four. 
And they should also be able to guard four positions too. You know what I mean? We've seen that with Hunter this year. Like I, I know, man, I know Carson Edwards lit him up in the elite eight game the other night, but he was just hitting some insane shots. And on some possessions, Hunter did a great job staying in front of him. He just got whistled for a foul on one of them. But like this year, DeAndre Hunter has stayed with Kobe white. He stayed with Nikhil Alexander Walker ties battle. Like he's guarded Zion Williamson. Like he has guarded fast players, including some of the better guard prospects in this class. And he's done a bang up job. Um, an absolutely bang up job. He did a great, I mean, like they won that game in Chapel Hill in part because he took Kobe White off the court. And he did a great job against NAW when they played uh, Virginia Tech as well. But like Spencer, uh, before the before the semifinal game against Florida State in the ACC tournament, I was down, you know, it's, it's about an hour or so before tip time. I'm walking around by the court and, and the UVA is just shooting, going through shoot around and post up drills. And I just happened to take a photo of DeAndre Hunter on my phone as he's like calling for the ball. And it's just the, I took the photo and like, it's like as his right arm is raised and he, he's just flexing and you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, dude. Yeah, nice. Like you were like, I, I just didn't think of you as this kind is like looking like, I, Again, I've seen I've seen Hunter play a lot. I've seen him up close a couple times in Durham at, at Duke games, but this was uh, it, it was eye opening. The guy's ready to play. He, Spencer, you said this about him on a pod we did like a year ago. You said it looks like he's built in a government lab, and like he, yeah. he the dude does. does. Like he just he just looks like he looked he, like that last year, and he's he's yeah. discernibly bigger this year. He he reminds me of and like he's the guy. He reminds me a lot of Ananobi. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's sort of what I see with him, but. Couple things. He's smooth laterally. Seven two wingspan, and he's smooth. Uh, only two point six fouls for forty minutes this year. Like I get that people are not people knock him for low blocks and steals numbers. Just two point three percent block rate, one point two percent steal rate. I, I, admit, I I'm not worried about that at all. Like I just think he's so smooth it's not, offensively. It's not, it's not a blocks and steals it, system. It's and he gets them too. Like you, like yeah. there's plenty. Like I could, I got clips on my computer. I could pull up plenty of like DeAndre Hunter flying in from the weak side to pin a guy at the backboard. Like the guy's, he can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And this guy is efficient scoring from all three levels. Sixty-three percent at the rim in the half court. Sixty-two um, percent on catch and shoot attempts. Uh, or pardon me, sixty-two percent effective shooting on catch and shoots. That was top ten in the ACC this year. Um, just an outstanding. Uh, face-up game. I know. So I know. There's plenty of concern with uh, his ability to create his own shot. I, I get that. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't think that's going to be a big deal for him because I don't think that's going to be his role. Like I think his this guy's assignment in the NBA is closeout beater. Like hit hit 40 percent of your threes, beat a closeout, and I think he can do it. Like his first step is a little slow. I'm not really, and I know his shot release isn't super quick, but like. I'm not worried. I think he can. I think it's going to be just fine. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be playing off advantage and, and playing on the weak side and just being a, a kick-ass second-side offensive player. And, like, again, not a lot of dunks this season, just 19 at Virginia. You'd think for such a freak athlete he'd have more. But, yeah. like, he's good at the rim, man. And, and I get there's some concern, too, with his knee bend in terms of, like, oh, is, can he ever, like, hit his peak explosive? He plays a little upright offensively. Like, can mm-hmm. he ever reach peak explosiveness? Maybe he can't. I, I generally don't think he has to. And um, I just think he's a high floor player. Maybe not a superstar, but like I thought with Bridges last year, like this is a guy you put in a starting lineup. He makes you better defensively and he helps that. He only he only helps your offense. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Although I don't know if Hunter's going to fall to 11 or 12 where the Hornets are. He might be one or two picks before that. But if you could get him at 11 or 12, I mean, he's a steal there, in my opinion. But, I mean, I agree. I, I love DeAndre Hunter as a, as a prospect. Always have, you know, since really he first first on the map late a few seasons ago. And um, I agree with you, Brian. I think it is a positive that he doesn't – he's not going to be a high-usage guy in the NBA. And, and that's, that's great. I do wonder if that actually – shoves him down you know some teams are going to think that's a big deal other teams are not at all and so how far can that in theory shove him down into the lottery um i would say my biggest concern with deandre is just and you alluded to it a little bit there he's a he's a little bit of a stiff athlete Mm -hmm. um you know for how he's built and what you think he'd be able to do athletically he doesn't it's not that he never does it he's had some explosive posterizing dunks at virginia but he doesn't do it very often, and and that stiffness as an athlete bleeds over into a little bit of passiveness mm-hmm. offensively, and and that's been that's been the most disappointing thing for me here late in the season for DeAndre. If he can't if he can't catch the ball in that pinch post, you know, elbow, uh, short corner area, face up, and either just jab and knock down that jumper, or just get straight to the rim, he, he's a little bit. Or, or catch and shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit uncertain of what to do, and and I would I guarantee you the criticism on uh, criticism on him through this process will be, yeah. But is this a guy that can take you know get a switch and punish that? Yeah, you know, you know no around the best in the NBA, and and I don't, I actually don't think that's him yet. Can he become that? Yeah, I mean I, I wouldn't say he he can't, but I do see the things about DeAndre that that are concerning. No and, doubt. But here's the flip to that. If Virginia wins the national championship, it means DeAndre Hunter, if I had to guess, is going to play pretty good here in these next two games. Mm-hmm. He's got, of, of anyone on this board, he obviously has, in the lottery, he obviously has the most to gain from mm-hmm. here in, in, until no the end of the college basketball season. I mean, it's all still right there in his hands. If he has a huge game on Saturday and a huge game Monday night, I could see this guy climbing. I could see him jumping Cam Reddish. Seriously, I could. Because I think he could be a better player. But, I think I think Reddish is in for a rude awakening come draft night. By the way, too, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little worried because I like yeah, I mean, he might be available when the Hornets are picking as well. Is what I'm trying to say right now right, because right. it is not gone great for for Cam this year. But in like <clears throat> Brian, our point is that it's nice that he can be a, a low usage, you know, stay in the corner and knock down forty percent of three, you know, thirty eight percent of threes, whatever. And then every now and then beat out a close, you know. But if you're drafting him in the top ten, I don't think you're drafting him to be that guy. You know what I mean? So like yep. trying to de- delineate what he is and what he projects as solidly from what he can be and what he should be, I think is going to be actually a fascinating case study for a lot of these teams because there's not many guys like DeAndre where you're like, oh, you're just like almost foaming at the mouth because you can see all the um, potential, but you're just not satisfied. Um, that's certainly been my feeling here this season with DeAndre. He's had a great season. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he has more to give, and I'll be interested to see how that really affects him in the draft, or doesn't affect him at all. Yeah, I agree, and, and it's it's interesting too. It's like a lot of that like face up mid post stuff that he does. That's where he generates a ton of his offense from. Like. Unless he becomes a star in the NBA, you can throw a lot of that stuff. I mean, there's some skills that you can you can copy and paste from that and say, like, hey, well, this is some stuff he could do to, to beat a switch or whatever. But it's like 
you know, DeAndre Hunter facing up from 19 feet, if he's your fourth option, like that, that stuff's just not going to fly. Like role players, you know what I mean? Like third and fourth options don't just don't do that stuff in the NBA. So that, that is a little bit interesting. It's like the the thing he does best offensively might be a complete non-factor in the NBA. Um, I'll say this too. Like he's a little stiff. Someone get this guy to go do yoga, man. Come on. Like, uh, like, let's, let's get this, let's get this guy to do some yoga. And you're right. I agree. Like, I think he and Culver, Jared Culver from Texas Tech, like, those are the two guys that in the Final Four, they're the two best draft prospects, and they got the most to gain. You know, if, if, unfortunately, if Chumo Kiki hadn't gone down for Auburn, he's another one of these guys. You could have said, like, man, with the big yeah. Final Four, like, this guy climbs up into an even higher portion of the lottery, and it sucks that we were denied uh, no Kiki Hunter you know, three D matchup in, in the final four, that would have been really cool. But yeah, I'm I'm with you on Hunter. I just I like him. I think he's gonna be solid. I like that he's two way player and, and I like the shooting. Low turnover player, good shooter from all three levels, and he knows how to play defense. Like I, again, I I think the Hornets would be lucky to have this guy follow him and I think he and Miles would pair really nicely together too. Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right there. I mean the the pairing between him and Miles Bridges is just good is as good as it gets for any small four power forward yep. prospect in this draft. I don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we wanted to thank you all for joining us for another episode. The season is almost over with about a week and a half to play. Um, as much as we don't love- sound so don't sound so dejected there, uh, Richie. Yeah, it's not it, it's not over yet. Oh, not, no. Well, not not mathematically. We still got yeah. five or six games left. Uh, by the time oh, you're listening okay. to this, probably five games left. And as much as we want to do some postseason playoff podcasts, we've not. I don't think we've done that in the history of Buzz Beat. I don't believe yeah. so. So that would be pretty cool. Once when the Hornets actually make the playoffs to actually do some game <laughs> recaps in the playoffs, uh, but it's not looking that way this season. So some of the upcoming episodes are probably going to be reviewing and grading the 2018-19 season, uh, handing out some report card grades to some of the positional players, and then we'll kind of pick back up our draft coverage. I always feel like the draft is like immediately after the season is over. We just it's have this big, we have this big <laughs> gap uh, because our season ends a little bit quicker than most teams so uh we have 10 weeks from now (laughs) yeah it's it's our playoffs yeah we we need to slow it it down we'll slow it down in that department but definitely get you guys all the draft coverage (laughs) that you guys uh tune in for so we'll see you guys just just imagine the stratosphere that this podcast is going to exist in the next time we're able to cover a horse playoff game just imagine it i know know. we'll we'll be we'll be on espn radio by then right right and that delays me (laughs) delays me from talking about draft prospects as well so that's it's a, it's a double win for me so we'll see you guys next time and i hope you guys have a good one see you this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.